Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! Oh, my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to two-man power trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid I, they knew they could kick the shit out of at this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two man power trip of wrestling. Wonderfoot one and two against Keith Patterson and Tony Zane. David, you know, we have seen a lot of Thunderfoot one, but it's our first look at him teamed up with Thunderfoot two, but it's a team that really is going to make a lot of noise around the United States. Good tag team. That's correct. When you think about tag teams, you got to think about the tournament coming up in the Omni. Omni. The United States Tag Team title. Tony Zane against Thunderfoot number one. Oh, and Thunderfoot came out with a double thrust on the back. It's Tony Zane and his partner Keith Patterson went up against the Thunderfoot. So when you think about the Thunderfoot, you got to think about the loaded boot. Oh, yeah. But they say it's not loaded. Well, you know, we're making accusations, of course, but it, we've now we're going to take a look at Thunderfoot 2. We've seen a lot to back it up. Tony, we need it. 
comment uh, second about what Jimmy Garvin said with Magnum CA. Now he's, he talks a lot when Magnum's not around. But you know, he said something that we know for a fact. He said, I could take a beating, you know, when Magnum had knocked him down, and he's right. He did take a beating. Wahoo McDaniels proved that, and he's been able to take a beating. But Magnum came into the ring. Threw him up against the post. And gorgeous Jimmy Garvin walks away, thinking he's in control. He'll find out what the tag, control he'll have. Tag is now made to Thunderfoot number two. Double elbow, David. Right on Patterson. Only had a one count that time. Just kind of laid on top of him. Now he's in the corner. David, I think it's very obvious they would just as soon hurt this man as Penny. That's correct. Takes his time. Really not trying to pin. Stomping away. They keep the pressure and the momentum in their corner. There's a foot from Thunderfoot number two. High backdrop. Very good. Didn't hook the leg. Just try to lay on him. Oh. Went for the backdrop, this rock right on his stomach. Once again, David, just kind of laid on him very easily, like as to really want him to kick out. Just so they could do some more. Put into the shoulder. Now fully at the chin of Patterson, tagging in and out. Double whip. Boy, I tell you, this is our first look on championship wrestling at these two men. But the reports we had heard were good, and they are backing it up 100%. Shoulder breaker. Puts him down. This time he hooks the leg. With the shoulder breaker. Thunderfoot's one and two, your winner. David, you know, we expected the loaded boot, but we didn't see it. No, we didn't. They do have the ability to wrestle as a good tag team. Here's the teamwork right now. Picks him up. Puts him over his shoulder. Gets in position. Goes up and drops him on his shoulder. Your winner, Thunderfoot 1 and 2. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP at John Paz, and today this is the flagship series, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. And today's guest is none other than Gene Ligon, a.k.a. Thunderfoot number two of the famous and maybe infamous 
Thunderfoots. He is also a former NWA Central States Tag Team Champion. And on today's episode, we do have one of our epics, one of those long, great interviews that I absolutely love, where we can kind of go down memory lane and really go through the territories and really talk about old school classic wrestling, the golden era, the golden age, the era that we all know and love of professional wrestling. And Gene is just an awesome guest and a great talker. And not only do we get to talk about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and the Crockets and the Carolinas. We also get to talk a little bit about guys like the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, of course, we talk about the Thunderfoots and the, the team itself, but we talk about Dusty Rhodes and kind of forming the team and, and who created it and why it was created and, and the whole gimmick, the character, the chemistry, the team. We talk about Joel Deaton. Just a really, really fun interview talking about a just a myriad of topics as we go through Crockett Cup 87, Crockett Cup 88, which he had a different partner. We do talk about that in the interview as well. I mean, there's just so many different things kind of to cover, whether you know he's working for the Central States, but he's really technically still working for the Crockett's, then back to Mid-Atlantic with the Crockett's with Joel Deaton, then going to all Japan Pro Wrestling and then spending some time in WWF and then going to WCW and the IWA with Rob Rusin. So, I mean, there's so many different things to talk about and so many great topics. I just love kind of how he got into the business and being trained in the business and, and really learning his craft and getting really into business at an older age and a more advanced age, but that also can work towards his favor, as you will hear in this interview. So, I mean, I'm not going to talk too much because it is a lengthy interview, and I don't want to kind of just keep blathering on here because it's, it is a great one to get to, and I love the amount of time that we got today from Gene Ligon. So, without any further ado, before I pass it on over to some two-man power trip of wrestling business and then head on over the interview, I do want to mention, of course, the Talking Tough podcast, which is available on Podcast One, that is Rick Bassman's show that we also produce. Then, of course, there is our own Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard, which is on the TMPT feed. Shane Douglas's Triple Threat podcast, which is available on Vince Russo's The Brand. Dirty Dutch Man Tells. University of Dutch, which is on, on the MLW Radio Network. And last and certainly not least, Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan, which is available on the Creative Control Network. So the TMPT a podcasting empire is all over the place and just taking over the globe. Absolutely love it and absolutely honored to work with all the guys that we are able to work with. Now, without any further ado, I'm going to send it on over to the NWA Central States Tag Team Champion, one half of the Thunderfoots, yes, Thunderfoot number two, Gene Ligon. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip and at Razzlin' Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike. Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. 
For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. us on the line right now is a former NWA Central States Tag Team Champion. He's been in the NWA, WCW, WWF, and everywhere in between. You may know him as Thunderfoot, number two of the legendary Thunderfoot. He is Gene Ligon. Gene, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate it. Now, what is going on? I feel like, you know, there's, like, obviously craziness going on in the world, but, you know, I feel like uh, you've kind of been out of the limelight for a little bit. What have you been up to? Well, I owned a gym for 25 years, and uh, I I got it when I first, well, it was just about, you know, 1987. Still had a few more years left in me, but every time I was getting in the ring, it was getting a little more difficult each time because I didn't, do any of the juicing or anything like that and the steroids and everything and those boys were hitting a whole lot harder than they did when i was 30 years old <laughs> so right i kept hitting the ground finally i had a couple concussions from just you know terrible workers they were just uh firing off on you thinking that i gotta hit this guy hard so he'll fall down faster 
I don't have to be a little bit hard. So uh, I had I got a gym in 87 and had it going for about five or six years. And that's when I said, well, I think I'll just focus on the gym. And so for 25 years, I, I had a gym I owned in, down here in Concord, North Carolina. And uh, met my wife at the gym and got married. And, uh, then uh, the gym, uh, the, the county uh, wanted the, the land I was on. And so they seized the uh, the land and everything, and I just basically uh, said, I think I've had enough, because they kept kept pushing it. And about three or four years later, the new landlord I got ended up tripling my rent almost overnight. And I said, I'm done. So I went into trying to find, I was a former school teacher back in the early 70s, and I said, well, I might want to go back into teaching. So I... Uh, I started out just driving a school bus to see if I really wanted to because I need to find a job. <laughs> and uh, next thing I know, a school position came open at a county down the road a little bit from me. And I've been teaching for the last five years at an alternative school that uh, kids that need, you know, more of a little more control in their life and everything like that. And uh, this year I'll be starting a new school that's more of a trade school and uh, working with kids who basically have a uh, a goal in life and uh, to be tradesmen and that's what we need more in america right now it's guys who have skills so i've been teaching school for the last five years and this will be my sixth year back and uh, be coaching wrestling and uh, be coaching track because that's what i did before i got involved in all this mess <laughs> nice very very good keeping busy uh, for sure now yeah. kind of going all the way back to when you started in the wrestling business. How did you kind of get into the wrestling business? Were you just always a fan and just wanted to kind of get in? Yeah, I was a fan since I was lived in Charleston, South Carolina. Big Bill Ward was the announcer in Charleston, South Carolina. I used to watch it all the time. I wanted to be a wrestler because everybody wants to be the hero. You know, so. But, you know, it's just a dream. And so I moved to Salisbury, North Carolina. Mom and dad, dad got a job in Salisbury, North Carolina. Moved from Charleston to Salisbury. And went out for wrestling at East Land uh, in Salisbury, uh, Rockland, North Carolina. And uh, I was thinking they had a ring because I never knew there was such thing as wrestling. I'd never seen it before in Charleston that, you know, I was a kid in school. Guy said, I said, where's, the, where's all the posts at? He said, what are you talking about? a rubber mat here with a circle in the middle of it. Man, this is different. So I fell in love with it. And I wrestled for three years for them. And I did okay. I wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but I won a conference and stuff like that. And um, Then I uh, went to college, became a teacher, uh, taught elementary school one year, and then had a chance to coach wrestling at a high school in my hometown. So I went back to Salisbury from Kings Mountain and uh, Went to West Carolina, was coaching wrestling there, loved it. Bunch of good kids and everything like that. We we're all like little, all, our little brother. I was 26 years old, and they were all like 16. So I'm like, I got a bunch of little brothers. And uh, mm-hmm. actually got them together one night. We all went to Charlotte to watch a professional wrestling match. <laughs> so, nice, I mean, yeah. They were like, they got excited about it because they all want to be wrestlers too because that's why you go out for wrestling. You want to be a professional wrestler. So, uh, 
uh, got back, and all the kids said, you ought to go out for wrestling, Coach. I said, you ought to be a pro wrestler. I said, now, understand, I weighed 165 pounds. And uh, I was a gymnast in college and uh, did a little bit of gymnastics and, and did a little wrestling. We didn't have a wrestling team, but we had a uh, – a team that we put together, uh, like a like a traveling team that we went to a couple colleges and wrestled against the preliminaries of the college. And all the guys that had women were from Iran. That's when Iran was our friend. And they were Iranian, and they were used to freestyle wrestling. And freestyle wrestling is totally different than uh, uh, college wrestling because you can lock hands and roll a guy. And in college wrestling, you lock hands. That's a violation. You can't lock hands on top when you're the guy's on bottom. So I remember uh, Omar went out on the mat and uh, grabbed the guy, rolled him around like crazy, and, and the referee said, one point penalty. And Omar looked at me and says, what's this? <laughs> I said, it's not the same wrestling you're used to. He was he was a Greco guy and a and a. Uh, freestyle guy, uh, Olympic wrestling, and you can do all that. And uh, so I said, just don't lock hands. He said, oh, no problem. So we just took the guy down about 10 times and won the match. And so hmm. uh, it was, and it got me kind of excited about it. But I was coaching wrestling at the high school, and the, the kids said, you ought to go out for wrestling. I said, yeah, right. So I'm, I used to watch it every Saturday night. You know, I'd be home watching wrestling on TV at 6 o'clock from WBT radio television and one night, you know, the television station came on at midnight, had IWA wrestling with Johnny Powers and Bulldog Brower, Dino Bravo, and all them guys. I'm like, who are these guys? I've never seen them before in my life. But they were northern wrestlers coming south. And uh, at the middle of the show, I had a little, little commercial. said, do you want to be a professional wrestler? Then fill out a form and mail it to this address. And so I said, huh. So I watched it a couple weeks in a row. They had that ad on there. I said, I'm going to send, send an app in. <laughs> so I sent a form in, and uh, I, I didn't hear anything back from them. So I watched it again and got the telephone number, and I called the number during the week and said, you know, I'm still teaching high school. And I said, y'all having tryouts or something? I never got a call back. He said, well, we're going to have it this Sunday. Come up and see us. So he said, I said, where at? He said, Triad Arena right outside High Point. I said, I have no clue where that's at because there's no GPS or anything. You have to get a map out, find the map. I was going to go all the way. I know how to get to Winston-Salem. I know how to get to High Point. Where is this, this building at? And it was an old uh, hockey arena. They had a local hockey team, and it was in their arena, and it was behind it in the storage area. They had a ring set up for guys to work out in. So I got there, and there was about, uh, about 40 guys there. And the first guy I met was a guy who was about 300 pounds. He was just a burly-looking guy. And he just looked mean. I'm 160 pounds, and he's weighing about three. I'm like, holy cow. I'm, I'm out. I might as well get the car and go back home. <laughs> well, I took one of my high school wrestlers with me, which I knew was tough as nails, named John Kennedy. And John said, I got your back, Coach. You my jump shot. I'm going to be on. I said, I know you are, John. Just don't get yourself hurt because, you know, I'm a teacher. We don't get sued. <laughs> so so uh, his mama gave him permission because she was a country girl herself. So I'm sitting there, and we, we get in the ring. There's 40 guys wrapped around the ring. And 
uh, Yanni Powers comes walking in, big and bold, you know, and we're like, wow, he had a presence about him, you know. It's like, gee, the first time I've seen a professional wrestler up close, real close. And I said, okay. At the ring, he, he was demonstrating a headlock, and I kept watching because it wasn't the same kind of headlock we used in high school wrestling. Uh, so he uh, he uh, looked at me and said, come here. I said, oh, come on. Walked over there to him, and uh, he said, let me show you how to put the headlock on. And so he's showing me, and I said, oh, okay. Said, Get your chin up, yeah. keep your head up so people can see your face when you're wrestling. I said, oh, okay. It's part of presentation. And uh, he said, stay right here. I want you to stay in the ring. Uh, and he looked over at the guy that weighed 300 pounds and said, you stay here, too. Everybody else get out. So now I'm looking at the guy who weighs 300 pounds. I'm like, holy cow, I'm going to get killed. He says, I'm not a fighter. I'm a wrestler. <laughs> so uh, I looked over at John and got my back. He said, yeah, I got your back. <laughs> so, and uh, I heard John. John's 16 years old. He's going to protect his coach. And uh, so... He said, I want you to run towards Ken while while he's in the corner there. I didn't know his name was Ken. That was just a guy. And I thought he was a wrestler, but he was just a big old boy. And, uh, so I charged him. He pulls his foot up, puts it right in my mouth, and busts my lip. And I hit the ground. Holy cow, that made me mad. And so uh, John said, okay, next guy. Let's get another guy up here. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I want him to charge me. He said, you want him to charge you? I said, yeah. And he did it to me. I want to have my shot back. So I stayed in the corner, and I was a gymnast in college, and I could do a, a lever real good, a front lever real good. I still could do it. So he come charging for it. I threw my, both my legs up straight as an arrow, and pay out. He hit the ground like a tub. And I, boom. I said, oh. Now I felt bad because I don't have that kind of streak in me about hurting people. I just don't. But uh, I'll defend myself. And he's laying there, like, rolling around. So, oh, man, I done broke his nose. And uh, he, he, I reached out and said, you okay? He said, yeah. I helped him up. Turned out to be one of the nicest guys in the world. He was just a little scared, so he acted tough. And that's how I got in the, uh, in the wrestling. They told me, they said, come back. You got $1,500 is what you need to pay to become a professional wrestler. I'm like, $1,500? <laughs> yeah. I made 800 a month as a teacher. So fifteen hundred is two months paycheck. That's yep, not take crazy. Home. I take home pay is like six. So that would be almost three months pay. And I said, Well, I guess I won't be a professional wrestler. So I left. And uh, me and John left and I met another guy named Chuck Marbury. He he was he become one of my better friends for the rest of all my life. And he wrestled for a while with me. But uh went home and uh, I was sitting at home one day and phone call rang like in June or something, June or July. And uh, I answered the phone. We had regular phones. We didn't have cell phones. We had a regular phone on a shelf. Answered the phone, and I recognized the voice right off the bat. It was Johnny Powers. And he said, Gene Wigan there? I said, this is Gene. I said, this is Johnny Powers. I said, I know. Yeah, I started talking. I heard his voice on TV a lot. He said, Gene, I need you to be wrestling in Roxboro, North Carolina tonight. Could you make it? I said, yeah, I can make it. You know, I've got a pair of black, and we all had to go buy a pair of black boots and black pants. You know, got them cheap. And uh, I'm like, okay. And I had those sitting in the drawer somewhere. He said, could you invite your friend that wrestled with you? He hung out with you. I think his name was uh, Chuck. Chuck. I said, yeah, Chuck Marbury. He said, get him to come with you. So 
Understand that we've not been wised up to anything. We're thinking we're going to go fight two guys. So I called Chuck. Chuck came to my house. We got in the car and drove all the way to uh, Roxborough, North Carolina, where I made my debut in professional wrestling. And got there, and uh, all the pros were there. We walked in the door. They said, Chuck, come with me. And Chuck went one way, and I went another. I'm down on the side where all the baby faces are. And I have no clue yet. And me and Chuck had no clue. But on the way up, me and Chuck made a deal. I said, Chuck, if they got us wrestling each other, what do you want to do? He said, well, you know how to do all the flips and everything. Chuck was a boxer. He said, you flip over the top of those ropes and, and, and roll me up into a pen. I said, okay, that'll work. I'll win. The win means that the baby face will go over. So I'm down, and, and Johnny Powers didn't tell us nothing. He said, hey, go out there, you're going to wrestle against Chuck. I said, okay. I said, because yeah. <laughs> we already had it worked out. And I didn't tell his Johnny. John said, go out and have a good match. I said, okay. I said, you're going over. I said, all right. I didn't know what going over meant. I said, I thought he was just encouraging me. So I go out there. And our job now is to fool Johnny Powers and Rip, Hawk, Rip Tyler and uh, Dino Bravo into believing that we're actually fighting each other because we believe it's a real deal. We believe we're supposed to fight. So me and Chuck, we laid some good shots on each other, man. It was like you know, hard slaps on the chest hard pounds on the back, and we noticed that some of the guys had creeped their way up to watch because the crowd was getting pretty good. And first match is supposed to be somebody just kind of okay. But we're beating the crap out of each other, you know, laying them in because we didn't want to halfway do it because it would look so fakey. So we laid in good. And they all came up and watched us, and then I did a little flip over the top ropes and uh, Went down there. I'm exhausted. I'm breathing like a racehorse. Chuck's breathing like a racehorse. We go downstairs. I sit down, plop down. And I was in decent shape. I mean, I was, I was coaching wrestling. And I'm saying, holy cow, I'm gassed. And uh, uh, Johnny Powers says, come up and watch my match. I said, okay. So I want to watch his match. And then I didn't realize they were saying, he is putting you under his wing. He liked what you did. He wants to show you how to wrestle. I didn't know all that. And... Uh, at the end of it, me and Chuck wrestled each other for like another 20 times over the next six months. Not one time have they told us. They assume we knew that it's a work. We're beating the crap out of each other. And me and Chuck, wow. I said, Chuck, I ride back on with Chuck in the car. I said, Chuck, are those old guys coming back there breathing hard? He says, no, they're not breathing hard at all. Oh, they must be in great shape, even though they smoke and they drink. <laughs> so we're so dumb, and we're believing that we're just got to get in better shape <laughs> because hmm. these guys, these guys have pot bellies, you know, and and they're beating on each other, but they're coming down a little bit of a, a little bit of a gasp, and they play cards while they're waiting for their match. And me and Chuck are in the shower. I'm in my side on the shower, laying on the floor, having cold water on my head, trying to recover. So one night I get there, and uh, uh, Johnny Powers said, Gina, don't you got Chuck, mate. You got Rip Tyler. I said, what? Oh, I got Chuck. No, you got Rip Tyler tonight. I don't want Rip Tyler. I want Chuck. <laughs> he said, well, you got Rip Tyler. I said, you're wrestling, mate. And what he was doing was basically moving me along to learn more. Me and Chuck were doing everything so wrong. We were just guessing at half of it. 
and there's a there's a method of how you pace yourself and stuff like that. We weren't pacing ourselves at all. We were just trying to make people scream real loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because we're you know fired up. So I go over to see Rip Tyler. He said, "Go talk to Rip about what y'all gonna do tonight." So so you're telling me I'm gonna talk to him and we're gonna kind of like organize it? He said, "Yeah, yeah, go." I'm like, so I get over there and I said, Rip, he said, "Yeah, we'll do this." We'll do this. He said, how you doing, Gene? Good to meet you. And he said, we'll do this and this. I said, you mean we're not going to fight, fight? He said, no, we don't do that. <laughs> I said, oh, my gosh. He said, y'all been beating on each other for real? I said, yeah, we've been killing each other. He said, yeah, we all wondered. We knew something was going on because all the guys were laughing back here and saying, look at them. They're wearing each other out because they just let us beat on each other for <laughs> as part of a rib. <laughs> yeah, really, yep, a good one. And, uh, so at the end of it all, that's how I first got my first match with a guy that knew what he was doing. Rip Tyler was an excellent instructor. He, he was choking me one time. He said, and I, wasn't, I wasn't doing it right. I was not acting like I was choking. And you're supposed to kind of like, ah. Well, I'm laying there, you know, and he's doing all this stuff to my neck, and I'm just kind of like looking around, no expressions on my face or anything. Because in your mind, you think you're looking really like, oh, he beat me up. But in your mind is playing with you. Physically, I'm sitting there like a guy sitting on his butt while he's choking me, and I'm not expressing a choke. So what he did is he gagged me real good. He he put the little thumb into my throat a little bit harder, and it made me go, <laughs> he said, that's how you do it, kid. I said, oh. I, in my mind, I was doing all that, but I wasn't actually doing it. And that's the hardest part about wrestling is that in your mind, you think you're doing everything right, but when you watch yourself on video, you go, "Holy crap! I look like crap out there." So, so that's that's how I got my my wrestling started. And it went for about oh, close to a year. And uh, in the winter of our uh, King Street, South Carolina, they had me wrestle Rip, and they said, "You gonna go over and win the, the junior heavyweight title?" And I said, "I was 100, about 180 pounds then, and Rip was about 180." So when I wrestled and Chuck had to referee because the referee didn't show up, so Chuck refereed. And uh, they told Chuck that uh, uh, not to do anything wrong. <laughs> so just slap the mat when it was down. They better kick out or you're slapping the mat. And he said, okay. So I won't slap the mat. So I rolled up Rip and uh, he was on his back and Chuck counted to three. One, two, three. And bing, 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 bing. I'm the junior heavyweight title holder. And Rip looked at Dead and I said, boy, you screwed up. You know, and Chuck was like, what had you wrong? He said, you screwed up. You screwed up. He was ribbing the whole time. And Chuck got back. He was so frantic that he was messed up. He said, nah, he did just fine. And then uh, I'm sitting there going, I got the title. And they said, well, the company's closing down. This is the last night. <laughs> oh, oh, damn. So it went out on a, uh, I, I killed the business off. Uh, yeah, you really did. <laughs> That's how bad I was. So, and I went about another four or five years of doing some spots in different towns with uh, independent groups. Uh, Charlie Bass, uh, Union South Carolina. And I just, you know, hey, you'll pick up an extra thirty, forty bucks. And I said, sure. And understand that that was sound like a lot of money. But when I got my first check from my first cash pay by Johnny Powers, I think it was about seventy-five dollars. And I, me and Chuck had wrestled each other for about 15 to 20 minutes, and I got a $75 cash payment. Chuck got a $75 cash payment. 
And I get the car, we're riding back. How much you get paid? It's got paid seventy five. Me too. I got seventy five dollars for twenty minutes work. Yeah. Well, understand as a teacher, I was getting eight hundred dollars a month, and here I am getting paid seventy five dollars in one night. So at eight hundred dollars a month, that's two hundred dollars a week, which is basically when you divide five into two hundred. You're talking about $40 a day to teach school. That's not take-home pay. That was gross pay. So I take home about 30 So I'm like, I made twice what I make as a teacher in 20 minutes. And then we have one or two matches a week. And some nights I got paid $150. Some got 100 But that's the, the, the amount of money back then. Gasoline was was was. Not super high yet, but it was going up to about a dollar, eighty-five cent to a dollar, and we're like, "Wow, man, we're getting rich." <laughs> I see why these guys drive nice cars because they have they get paid really good money. But as time went by, you know, I got out of wrestling, went into sales, uh, sold insurance for a while, and uh, my dad got sick, and I moved back home to help take care of him. He got better. And I was coming back one night on, from a trip with him. He was a legislator in North Carolina, and I was driving him back and forth because he'd gone through a, a bad case of uh, sickness and everything. And he got better, and so I'm riding back and forth just to spend time with him. And we come back one day on the radio. He said, uh, "So you want to be a wrestler?" Because so the, um, the unemployment was rather crazy, like before, uh, like in 2014 and 13, couldn't find a job, and. Uh, he said, if you want to wrestle, that'd be a job you could do. Call this number or this post office box or go to the unemployment office. So I went to the employment commission, looked up on a microfiche dish because it didn't have computers like it do now, looked on this little screen, and there it was, professional wrestler, singles, co-ed, uh, tag team, mixed, mixed matches, 16. This is what you're going to have to do. And he said, contact this number. And I called I call them, they said, uh, bring $200 with you to try out. I went, $200? <laughs> my dad gave me the $200. So I'll give you $200. You go, I'll go with you. So he and my brother went with me to, to Bojangles Arena here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, that's where the tryout was. That was where the Charlotte Coliseum was. And that was where we all had our matches at. I went there and I had scheduled surgery that week on my right knee. And I could hardly walk. They said, we've got to run around the Coliseum. So four laps around the Coliseum is about two miles. I'm, I'm, I'm limping the whole way. And uh, my buddy Chuck came with me. and He was trying out. And, uh, we got back to the arena and uh, went in there. And they told us, do a squat. Okay? Didn't feel real good. I can do a squat. He said, that's one. Now, run all the way to the top of the stairs of Bojangles Arena. Come back down. Give me two squats. Yeah, up the top, back down, give me three squats. How long are we doing this? He said, 25. So when you add it all up, it's about 300-something squats. I'm like, so I'm like, got a couple young guys right there, you know. I'm I'm in my mid-30s. I'm 33. And uh, the rest of the guys are like 21, 22 years old. They're like psyched up. They're going, they're going, they're going to prove to the world they can wrestle anybody. So I'm watching this one kid. He's sprinting to the top, sprinting back down. I go up by halfway up. I look around. Nobody's watching. I come back down. <laughs> so 
I'm watching. Where are you at? He's I'm at 15. I said, me too. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I've done about three or four because I said, I'm, my knees swell up. And then they had us do push-ups the same way. I said, what? So I knew what they were doing. I looked in the ring. There was two guys waiting for us. And they wanted to make sure that they wouldn't get their tails kicked by a bunch of rookies coming out there because you never know what 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 guy's going to walk in the door and all of a sudden wear out somebody <laughs> tougher than nails, right? That was not going to be me. And uh, so we get to the ring, and there's Mike Rotundo, uh, just finished at Syracuse Wrestling. He's in wrestling shape. I'm like, holy cow. He was the... Uh, I think the tax man of the WWF. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he had just come there. And, you know, he's starting out with us. And uh, when I was there, I'm just a rookie guy. I don't know nothing. So I'm getting the ring. She's getting the ring. So I get in the ring. I said, oh, hey, I want to shake Rotundo's hand. He wouldn't shake my hand because he's playing a heel, right? And I understand that stuff. I said, okay, you know, I, I do a little bit. But why are you being such a jerk for him? You know? But that was what he had to do. And uh, so uh, he said, Get down on your on your knees, referee's position. You know what that is? I said, got an idea. So I got down and said, "Listen, my, my right knee's bad." I said, "Be careful with it if you grab my ankle or something." I'm figuring he's going to wrestle like wrestling, not pro wrestling, but like real wrestling. Cause nobody gets in referee's position in pro wrestling. So we're going to see if I know anything about wrestling. So I make I make a move and he blocks it. And, he does a good job of it, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm worn out from doing all the push-ups and the squats. Not as many as everybody else did, but uh, he uh, grabs my knee and just rips it right up my butt. I said, whoa, whoa, bro, that's my knee. <laughs> he said, so he was all over me like crazy, wouldn't give me a break, and finally I went to, to the turnbuckle or to the ring rope, and they broke it up, got up, and I'm watching one guy outside the ring was, was – uh, uh, Jerry Briscoe. I'm like, man, I watched Jerry Briscoe wrestle when I was a little kid. And he was still eight, he was still wrestling, but I said, wow, he's let me have a little bit of him. <laughs> so he crawls in the ring. Here I am looking at one of my wrestling heroes because I, I admired their skills, their their technical skills. And uh, we we kind of locked up a little bit. He's locked up, locked up one time, and locked up again. So he's just testing me. So he said, let's go, let's go real right now. It's okay. So he, he didn't try to shoot on me or anything. He was going to lock up. So we locked up. And the next thing you know, I tripped because my knee gave out on me. He fell down. And I grabbed a hold of his head. He's got a hold of mine. We're squeezing like crazy. And he's, you know, it's it's starting to hurt. And I thought, I ain't going to give up. I'm going to hurt him too. So he's sitting there going, had his chin against my chest and my head's against his chest. And he said, I'll let go if you let go. So I let go right away. And, I, and that was probably a stupid thing to do because you think, the guy, the guy can beat me now. <laughs> but he's an honorable guy. He let go of me too. Got up, he said, not bad. And I think I'm done, right? So next thing you know, Rotundo says, let me have some more of him. I said, oh, my gosh, leave me alone. <laughs> so he gets in the ring, and I said, okay. So stand up. I said, yeah, come here. So he came at me, and I went to my back on purpose. He fell on top of me, and as he fell on top of me, I, I swiveled out and came out on top of him and held him down. And I reached over and I slapped the mat three, town, three times as fast as I could. I, one, two, three. I crawled out of the ring and looked up at him. I said, I got you. Hmm. He said, get, get back up here. I said, no. 
<laughs> I walked off, and uh, Gene Anderson was the one who had set all this up. And Anderson said, Salisbury, give me a call on Thursday. I said, okay. So I called him on Thursday, and I went in to see all the people and uh, met with uh, Sandy Scott. And Sandy Scott said, why do you want to be a wrestler? I said, I've always wanted to do it. I said, but I understand I'm 33 years old. I know I can't be a star. I don't care about being a star. I need a job. He said, all right. So you don't, you're not, you know, I said, I don't have an agenda. I want to do whatever I can to help the business. I'm a business guy. I like taking care of business. I said, I know this is a business. I said, I'll do anything I can to help you don't make money. And he says, I like attitude. He said, be in Western Salem October or something. I said, okay. You got your first match. I said, right. <laughs> so I'm like, I go up to Winston Salem. I get my first match. I get there. I brought my mom, my dad, everybody with me because it's my first time to be wrestling on the big. They were videotaping it also. So that was one thing. They just started doing that, traveling around videotaping. And uh, I had a, a Down syndrome aunt that went with us. That's my mom's sister. And uh, she was a big Ric Flair fan. She hoped Ric Flair would beat me. I said, Oh no, I'm your, I'm your, I'm your cousin. <laughs> so. I'm your nephew, right? And so uh, she said, no, I like Ric Flair, Ric Flair. I said, so I saw, and just happened to have her there standing next to the curtain because they were all going up to, and there's Ric Flair in the dressing room area. And I, I grabbed her. I said, come with me. And so and she was Down syndrome. She had the look of a Down syndrome person. And uh, she was severely Down syndrome. And uh, so I got Rick's attention. He looked over and saw her, and he come walking out. He said, hello, darling, and just walked up to her, gave her a big old hug, and you want to talk about making a girl's day? Oh, my gosh. So anybody said that to my there, but uh, awesome. he gave her a little hug, and he said, go on up there and watch me whip this guy. She, yeah, 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 yeah. She wanted to go back in the dressing room with him. <laughs> she would have had his children if she could have. <laughs> but she goes back, watches the match, and goes, that's my boy. That's my boyfriend. So to the day she died. She, she died in a, 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 a home that they had set up for her nursing home because she was gotten really bad sick. She had a picture of Ric Flair on the, at the end of her at the end of her bed on the wall, and it had a picture of Ric Flair. And it, said, and it always said Geneva's boyfriend. So it was like, and she died. You know, the last thing she saw was Ric Flair's picture. So and uh, so it just you know that's how I got back. That's how I got into wrestling. Uh, I wrestled against the uh, was the assassins was. Uh, Berkeley's Hernandez and uh, Jody Hamilton, and uh, I'm in the ring with another guy that didn't know anything either. And they, they, I'm, you know, I thought I was strong, and I, I am. I was real strong until I met somebody like Hercules Hernandez who picked me up with like almost one hand. I weighed about 240 then. I got a little chubby. He picked me up like I was a feather. He slung me across the ring to hit the ropes. I couldn't get turned around fast enough. I, I hit it chest first, came off, turned around, clothesline, boom, picked me up, boom, 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 pinned me. One, two, three, thank you very much. I'm going home. So I got out of the ring. They said, look, got you some matches for next week. And they started booking me like once or twice a week and then once a month and twice a month, you know, just kind of playing with you a little bit. But cause I, wasn't, I wasn't skilled enough to become a regular yet. And as time went by, I got more and more matches and uh, – and uh, next thing you know, I was a regular, and uh, I, I, I had a match in uh, in Florence, South Carolina, 
against uh, Brickhouse Brown. Brickhouse Brown dropped a knee on my chest and tore my pec in the ring. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that, that it went numb. I'm, Ooh, that hurt. And I got up and I looked. I said, oh, my goodness, my, my muscle on my chest rolled right over to the middle of my chest. I went, oh, no. I tore my pec. And so the uh, match was over. We got done. I went down and went, yeah, you tore your pec, buddy. And all the guys were saying, yep, that's torn pec. And there was one wrestler there who had a torn pec, and it looked terrible. It looked like it had a caved-in chest. And I said, I don't want to look like that the rest of my life. So I went right to the hospital. At the hospital right there in Florence, and the doctor said, what's the problem? I said, I think I tore my pec. She said, take your shirt off. So I took my shirt off. It was numb as could be. It was starting to swell up a little bit, and he said, flex. Oh, yep, you've got a torn pectorius major. So he brought all the nurses and all the doctors that were becoming doctors and nurses to come over right now. I want y'all to see this. Sir, would you mind flexing your chest? Okay, so I flexed. And I oh, yeah, I'm their, I'm their guinea pig now. <laughs> so, and they, they touched it like, is it hurt? I said, I don't feel anything right now. It's numb. He said, oh, that's so right here it's torn. It rolls up right here. I suggest you have it operating on by the end of this week. So I said, okay. So I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I'm going to be broke by the time this surgery is over because there's no insurance. And uh, so I get home. I have a match the following day in Asheville, North Carolina. And I need the money. So I'm getting paid fairly regular. And I drive all the way to Asheville. I go against a guy named Lee and... Uh, I can like find his whole name, but uh, get in the ring with Lee, and uh, I said, "Listen, got a torn pet. I can't do much." And it's starting to turn black now because the blood is is filtering into different pockets of your skin. So I got this black line coming down my body. It looked like somebody painted my uh, with a tattoo, and uh, it's it's looking bad. So I said, I "Can't do much." We locked up a couple times. The first thing he did was grab my wrist and do a twist. I went, oh, it's the left hand, which is the one we always work with. I'm like, oh, come on, Lee. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, I forgot. I said, so next thing you know, he got he got caught up in what he was doing. He was a decent little wrestler, too. Got caught up and shot me into the ropes and gone did a drop kick on me. I hit the ground. I about passed out right there. So I got up and I grabbed him real fast, rolled him up and pinned him because I was supposed to win. <laughs> so I pinned him. And he, and he said, I'm so sorry, Gene. I didn't even do all that. I got caught in. I said, I understand. You're a nice guy. No problem. So I got in the car and drove home. And I'm sitting there, and it's starting to ache now. The pain is starting to get worse and worse each day because, you know, if you work out with weights real hard, and then two days later it's sore. Right. So now it's sore. And I'm like, oh, God. So Tuesday night in Gaffney, South Carolina, I have a wrestling match. And I get there. I'm sitting there barely able to lift my hand. If he, if he pushed me or tapped my chest, I would drop out. It, it hurts so bad. And I, and I could take pain pretty good, but this was hurt. So I get there and said, who have I got? He said, you got Rock and Roll Express. So I said, oh, no. They're going to drop a kick. It was on TV. They're you know, got to make them look good. So they're going to drop kick you several times, finish you up with a big double drop kick and so forth. So I have a rookie with me. They said, I went over to the other side of the dressing room. I went down. They decided knocked on the door, and they opened the door and said, hey, Liga, what's up? I said, guys, check it out. I showed them my chest. Oh, my goodness. How are you even here? I said, I need the money. I got surgery Thursday. <laughs> so I said, I can't do anything. He said, but take care of it. Don't worry about it. 
don't get in the ring. Stay on the corner, let the other guy do the work. The other guy was a rookie. He didn't know. I said, okay. <laughs> so I got in the ring. I put my hand on the turnbuckle, and the kid wrestling bumped against the ropes, and it almost dropped me. Because the, the, it, it shook my arm. Oh, man. So they're sitting there wrestling on TV, and boom, boom, they're drop kicking him, and they're doing all this stuff that, that they did so well. And they drop kicked him, and he fell towards me. I said, oh, no. And the natural thing is to reach in and tag the guy. He reached up to tag me, and I, I kind of acted like I didn't see him. I turned around and looked at him, and they grabbed him and pulled him back in and rolled him up and pinned him with a double drop kick. And uh, I looked at him, and they gave me a wink. I said, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And then he said, why didn't you come in? I said, I tried, man. I tried. I just missed it. I'm sorry. You did a good job. And I left. And so Thursday I had surgery. And Thursday I had surgery. It took about two weeks. And I'm sitting there going, well, there's, I spent all my money on the hospital, my doctor, and all that stuff because there was no insurance, like I said. And uh, so I'm down to like a couple hundred dollars in my whole bank account. And my mom and dad would help me out, but I wasn't going, yeah. I'm a full-grown man. I don't need that. You know, I'm, I'm a little pride there, which I, if I do it over again, I say, could you loan me some money, Mom? <laughs> I go in there. I go to the office to get my, my check from the last taping that we did, which been a couple hundred dollars. So I go in there, and I, send them, and I speak to Mr. Crockett. He don't talk to nobody. And so they, they, they realize I'd had surgery. So well, come on in, Gene. I'll talk to you. So they say, hey, Mr. Crockett, what can I do for you? I shut the door. I said, I know you don't do this, but I need to borrow $1,500. Could you loan it to me? I don't loan money to wrestlers, Jake. I I know you don't, but I'm not. I'm I'm special. (laughs) I'm from here. I'm from Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm a local guy. I've been watching wrestling. I'm not going to skip like these other guys would do. You'd borrow $1,500 and skip to Minnesota or something like that. You'd never see them again. I said, I, I wouldn't do that. He says, I can't do it. Can't do it. Just I'm sitting there. I'm like, gosh, I'm going to ask mom and dad for some money. And here comes the door busted wide open. It's Dusty Rhodes. And I said, I look up at him. I said, Olivia, you doing all right? I said, man, yeah, I got my arm in a sling, right? He said, uh, dad gummit. He didn't say dad gummit, though. But uh, he said, had to fire one of the referees last night in Georgia. He's got the match in Fayetteville tonight. He's been fired. We've got nobody to referee the matches. Johnny Weaver's in Fayetteville. He could referee, but he's got to do all the stuff in the back office because he had to do all the money collecting and counting and everything. He can't referee. So I looked at him and said, I can referee. He said, how are you going to referee with your arm in a sling? I said, well, okay. So I slipped it out of my sling because it was still hurting and put it in my pocket. I stood up, and I said, so... The guy hits the ground. I go down to count, right? He said, yeah. So I drop down, one-handed push-up. Did one, two, three. Pushed myself back up, stood up. I said, what more do I need to be able to do? He said, that's about it. So the rest of us just walk around and smile and laugh. And he said, can you be in Fayetteville tonight? I said, I got a pair of shoes and I got a pair of pants from high, from college referee. I refereed college and high school. I said, I'll have black and white stripes. He said, I don't care. I got a white pair of shoes. I don't care. Get there. So I said, okay. And Mr. Crockett looked at me and said, I'm a check for $1,000. I'll loan it to you now. We'll take it out of your paycheck each week. All right. I'm the first guy I got along. <laughs> so I go to 
Fayetteville. I get there, and John Weaver says, what are you doing here? So I'm refereeing. He says, you are? How are you going to do with that swing? I said, I'll take it off. And so I got out there, and I did the best I could. And it ended up, I ended up in Starcade 85 and uh, refereed uh, that, which, you know, I was still weak from that. It could tear again. And uh, they had me against uh, superstar Billy Graham against uh, Barbarian in an arm wrestling match. And uh, Raging Bull versus Abdullah. And then something else. And then the, the beautiful thing about how the difference between it is today and how it is then, they kept things kind of quiet. We're going into the you know, championship match, Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes for the world title. And we're watching. I'm in the back watching. All the guys in the back watching. No one knows the finish. No one. Ask anybody. We don't know what's going on. Nobody's told anybody anything. It's only between Rick, Dusty, and the referee. They're the only ones to know the finish. Dude. Because we're like, we're going to watch. We're getting ready to enjoy something because they were doing a lot of different things they normally didn't do. And I'm like, wow, this is good. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I see Dusty Rhodes uh, give uh, Tommy Young an elbow by accident, and Tommy takes a spill, goes out into the floor. I thought, I'll have to get back up and get back up there. He's laying there, rolling around like he's dead. And I thought, like, oh. And all of a sudden, a hand touched me on the shoulder. I said, go to the ring. You've got to finish the match. But I don't, I don't know the finish. You don't need to know the finish go to the ring, finish the match. So I took off running. I slide through the ropes. I don't know nothing. I don't have a clue of what's going to happen. I see Dusty, and I, I think the best recollection is that uh, Flair had him in a figure four and it was rolling around. The next thing you know, uh, Dusty made a couple moves, and uh, Flair tried to counter it, and then Dusty rolled him up, I believe it was, and it was one, two, three. I slapped the mat. I'm like, Oh, my gosh. I flashed back to when Chuck refereed my match and I won the junior heavyweight title. Have I screwed up? I slapped the mat. I don't hold back on slapping the mat. I don't hurry it up. I went one, two, three. Ding, 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 ding. Ric Flair has lost the world title to Dusty Rhodes. And I'm sitting there holding Dusty's arm up in the air. Barely could. I had to grab it with my right arm instead of my left arm. And... Uh, Next thing I know, here comes Tommy Young crawling back in the ring. He says, no, no, no. The elbow hit me. He's disqualified. Ric Flair is still the champion. And that's how that show went. <laughs> Some people don't know that. And I only told a few only told a few people. You're one of the few people we told that story to. That is awesome. Unbelievable that you were a part of that match and that legendary rivalry and obviously being a part of Starcade is just huge within itself. And had no clue of the finish. Had no clue. That's crazy. You don't clue in the ref. You know, it's going to be the referee when Tom Young gets knocked out. That's, that's crazy. It didn't clue you in. That's what made it so great is that I reacted exactly how you would react. And mm-hmm. I didn't have to ask for anything. That's, that's how Crockett and them ran the show. That's how Dusty did it. That's the difference between WWF and, and the NWA. While we had better uh, far better wrestling as far as I'm concerned. Our, our stories were in the ring, not outside the ring. And uh, that was the difference in our art. 
And right now, it's just a bunch of guys bouncing around trying to kill each other with big muscles. <laughs> yep. I was always told uh, when I was coming up that the average size guy, the 210-pound guy, was the guy that, that drew the crowd. And Ric Flair was 220, 230, you know. And they got bigger as time got by because people got bigger. But the giant guys, the, the big muscle heads, the guys that had these giant, giant muscles, couldn't draw a, a, a ticket after a while. They, they'd be a surprise. Like you bring an Andre the Giant, who would people go crazy? But after about three or four weeks, Andre didn't draw as much because everybody's seen Andre. There's <laughs> no big deal. And uh, so he said, always the 200 and something pound guy was always the guy, like like Nelson Roll would tell me, he says, he said he drew more tickets when he wrestled because you want the crowd, the guy in the crowd has to feel like, I could take that guy. I could take that guy. I could whoop his tail and until they tried it, and then they find out they couldn't. And uh, it was just uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny. Uh, let's see, back in let's see, my first match I went to, uh, I think uh, in, in Shelby, North Carolina, I saw a match with uh, with uh, a couple guys uh, that was just starting, and there was a uh, oh, what was the Johnny 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 uh, can't think of his last name Johnny and the Greg Greg. Uh, Valentine, Johnny Valentine. I saw Johnny Valentine for the first time in person when I was just a college kid. And he come walking in the ring for the main event. It was just a small little thing. It wasn't a big crowd or anything. It was just a, a, a local spot. And uh, he come walking in the ring, and there's people standing there screaming at him, hollering at him. And there's this big old guy come walking towards him. So I'll kick you butt. And Johnny Valentine turned and looked at the guy and leaned into him. He said, take your best shot. And the guy sat there, had his fist balled up, and he was bigger than Johnny. But Johnny had this mystique. <laughs> the guy kind of like, kind of lowered his head and backed down a little bit and sat down like a, like a cow. <laughs> and Johnny looked at him and said, that's what I thought. Got in the ring, and boy, he was just like, if Johnny Valentine took a step back from getting hit, that was a that was a pop. If he ever fell, the crowd went stupid. I mean, well, because he was he was tough, tough guy. But uh, that was the difference in wrestling down, down south or up north. North is just a bunch of. I don't watch it anymore. I haven't watched it in several years. I've caught a couple spots here and there. I said I don't understand. They're back and back talking about what they're going to do, and we're going going to give you my. This has become a soap opera. It's supposed to be art. It's not art anymore. It's just become a read a script and do it. <laughs> so when you kind of think about your career, and I mentioned before being obviously one of the Thunderfoots, Thunderfoot 2 along with Joel Deaton, how did the Thunderfoots come together to become a team? And where does that gimmick kind of come from? Well, we were, uh, we were you know, doing our thing. He was wrestling as Joel Deaton, and I was wrestling as Gene Wiggins. And- didn't know him that well. You know, nice guy. And uh, uh, we got called to the office one day. I got called. He needs to come to the office. Dustin wants to talk to you. Crap, what am I doing? I don't know. Did I do something wrong? So you think worse thing because he's the boss, right? So you get there, and all of a sudden, there's Joel and me standing there. He said, what are you here for? Dusty wants to see me. Yeah, Dusty wants to see me too. So 
both of us come back and I said, and we never wrestled against each other. So we didn't know what we could have done that would cause the boss to call us in. So he come in and he said, all right, that's what I got an idea. I want you guys to be mask guys. Mask guys. So I thought, oh, I'm getting a little push here, right? We're going to call you the Thunderfoots. Thunderfoot one, Thunderfoot two. I said, Joel, you be number one because Joel had a whole lot more experience than I did. Said, you be number two. And uh, you have a gimmick boot, pretend, you know, pretend boot. You have a little built up on, on one of them and limp a little bit when you go out there. But you got a short foot, and that's why you had to have that leg done. So, so I'm like, okay. So uh, said, you got to go to Kansas City. How are we going to get to Kansas City? Oh, we're going to fly out there. Oh, flies out there. Yeah, fly out there. We've got your uniform made right now. Got to get your sizes and everything. So we got the uniform. It was like almost, it was done like in a couple of days. And uh, next thing you know, we're on a plane to uh, to Kansas City. The wrestling gets a couple of little guys. Or they're Mexican guys and uh, nice guys. But they played parts of Indians. They were Indians. But they were small. They weren't very big. They were like, you know like five foot eight or five nine. We're like six foot and Joel was six two. We're big guys. And the and the uh Kansas City territory was dying poorly and Crockett had just bought it. And uh he said we gotta get the get get the thing going. So Dusty said, You're gonna go over there and you're gonna beat the guys. I want you to eat it over with in about three minutes. I said, three minutes, that's insulting to the guys, right? Because we're kinda like the guys. So we get there and we tell the guys, listen, they want us to knock y'all out as quick as we can, like three minutes. We're going to give you a little more time with that, but understand, that's what it's going to be. And they kind of, they didn't like it. I, I'm just telling you, we're not, we don't want to do it, but we've been told by our boss, that's what we got to do. We're giving you a heads up, because they normally wouldn't tell them. They just go out there and whoop them, and that's it. And uh, so we just kind of like try to be nice to them, because we, we've been done wrong, and so... Got there and the guy said, okay, so we wrestled a little bit, gave him a few spots, made him look good, and then we, we beat him. And we got back, and boy, we got chewed out. What were y'all thinking? I want y'all to be overwhelming, overpowerful. You can't be beat. You let those guys look like they can take you. And we don't understand the whole, the whole uh, psychology of things. So kind of like, kind of messed up on that. But then he said, okay, y'all going to be living out there for at least uh, a year. A year, yeah. So he moved. We moved everything we got uh, out there. I hadn't uh, gotten the gym yet. I was a year away from getting the gym, and uh, I'm out there and we're wrestling. We're staying. I stayed in an apartment with a buddy of mine. And, uh, every night, we're we're in a town. Every night, you want to be a wrestler, you are gonna be one. Every night, I guarantee you, was fifty dollars a night. You never, you you'd never get paid less than that. We averaged doing about seventy, seventy-five dollars, and sometimes we got a hundred. We had a good crowd, and uh, but we did TV taping in Kansas City, Kansas, and we'd go to St. Joe, we'd go to St. Louis, and all. Got to see a lot of the country out there. I mean, I was, I loved being out there for a while, but it, it's every day, every day. I don't know how the guys do it when they when they do it for 365 days a year. Sometimes they wrestle 400 times in those 365 days. And we're wrestling every night. And, you know, we had to drive long drives, 200-mile drives to one town, 200 miles back the other way. And then you 
go 180 miles the other way. In our central location was Kansas City and Missouri. And we lived in the Overland Park area. And uh, so we wrestled all over, wrestled in St. Louis at Joe Louis Arena and uh, out there. And, uh, we, you know, we, we got over pretty good, got the crowd coming. And because and, the Thunderfoots were hated. I mean, we were like, no, piece of crap. I said, thank you, appreciate it a lot. <laughs> so, and uh, next thing you know, they call us up and says, we're going to bring you back home. And I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. <laughs> I was so happy. I said, you know, God was being good to us. And so we got in the car, and we had a St. Louis match. We had to finish up. And as we're in the car leaving Kansas City, snow flies start coming in, snow, get a little bit of snow. We knew it was trouble because the cars were slipping. We had to get out of Kansas City as fast as we could because my car wasn't going to make it out. The tires I had did not work good in snow. <laughs> so we got all the way to St. Louis. Snow hadn't got there yet. We wrestled that night. It had us on first because one of the first matches because we're getting out of there. And so we asked the guy, could you move us up a little bit? He said, yeah, we'll move you up a little bit. Get you home so you can get home. And uh, we wrestled that night, got in the car, and looked outside, and the snow started coming. I said, we got to get. So we humped it. We got out of there and drove all night long, and I was coming to Charlotte. When I got to Charlotte, I said, I'm home. I'm home. I was so happy. Got a ticket. We're driving 65 and a 55. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so the last time I got a ticket was in 19, I think, 1986. So I got home, and I said, wow. So I, I met with Chuck again. Chuck said, yeah, we got a gym, and we're trying to make it go, but I don't know if we're going to make it. And so he uh, got himself financially, and uh, it was about to fall apart because he was having to take care of a family and everything. He just couldn't dedicate his time to it. Like he could have done a good job if he had time, but he just had a got married and just had a baby. So I said, oh, I said, well, let me buy it from you. He said, well, we owe thirty thousand dollars. I said, let me just take the note over. And I took the note over and I paid it off in a few years. And uh, I said, well, I think I'll make this my career. After about four more years of bouncing around a little bit. I had guys watch the gym for me while I go wrestling. <laughs> so that's how that's how easy it was back then because you trusted people. They weren't going to steal you blind. I said, listen, he worked for me. A couple of guys worked for me. I'd give them some shakes and stuff like that. They were happy as pies. And uh, they leave the key underneath the uh, the uh, front doorstep and uh, I'd pick it up at night, check how much money I had in the drawer and go deposit the next morning and I was doing wrestling at night and gym in the daytime. So that, and then finally, I gave up on the wrestling and got too many injuries, too many knockouts. I was I got cold caught one time. Don't remember anything. And uh, just uh, I said it's time to quit. The body has decided. Times out. <laughs> hmm. Well, really, kind of obviously before the retirement and and when you return back from Central States to uh, Mid Atlantic and in the NWA and JCP, Crockett Cup 87. Did that ring any bells? You beat um, Jaggers and, and Rocky King. You lose to Fernandez and Rick Rude. Do you remember Crockett Cup 87? Because oh, yeah. so many fans love Crockett Cup. Well, Crockett Cup is amazing. Uh, I'm sitting there in a the dressing room, you know, and I got a little Thunderfoot outfit on, and me and Joel are there. And I look up, and here comes Jesse Ventura walking through the door. I'm 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 just in my tights, but I don't have my mask on. And he's walking around saying hey to all the guys because he knows all the guys, right? 
I mean, Jesse Ventura. That's when Jesse was he just finished up with the WWE. He was, I think he was doing some of the TV stuff. And uh, he walked right over to me and said, Gene Ligon, how you doing? I'm like, how does he know me? I watch you and Joel over there. Y'all do a good job out there. So he, but I said, yeah, I should know because he knows all the guys. He's, he's kept up. He, it's a part of his whole thing. And I was kind of honored the fact that he knew who I was. But uh, but uh, we, we had the match, and uh, Joel was supposed to kick Rocky in the, in the chest with the with the loaded boot, and he missed him <laughs> by a mile. And and Rocky took a bump, which and all of a sudden everyone went boo because he missed. He took a bump. So what he did is they did it again and did the same finish again and kicked him this time. And he went down. And everybody was like exposed it right there. Oh, maybe screwed up. I was glad it was him, not me. <laughs> but uh, that's it was a. Uh, it was a it was a good 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 show. I mean, because the Crockett Cup was that was a good idea. I mean, that night a uh, barbarian got uh, got a little drinking in him, and he was in the motel, and the guy said he can't have any more drink. He got mad, and and he's a, one of the nicest guys in the world. But they said he gets a little little alcohol in him, and he quit drinking after that. He just quit doing it. He went and he pulled the door apart on the on the, on the at the hotel we were at and broke the rails. That's how strong he was. He broke the rails that the door was on. And the cops showed up and they were all like, "Let's talk to him." So one of the guys got, "Let, let, let me hang up." Because some of them knew him. Some of the cops knew him. He said, "He could kill us all <laughs> without without a gun." And so one of the cops talked to him and said, "Army, you can't handcuff me." That will make exceptions. They got him in the car. They drove him on. Just kind of let him sleep it off a little bit because he was a—he's one of the greatest guys in the world too. He just—he says he, he was embarrassed about that. He just started drinking. Alcohol didn't fit with him too well. But ever since then, though, he was just—I mean—he was naturally strong. He was just a man, <laughs> but a good, a good buddy, and he was just nice and big. But yeah, Crockett Cup was amazing. And, uh, I forgot the dates, like you said, 87. I said, yeah, 87, that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you were in uh, Crockett Cup 88 as well. Different partner, though. You were with uh, Curtis Thompson at this point. I think you guys were the Twin Devils. So Crockett Cup 88, uh, completely different for you. Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, I don't remember much about that one because it was like that was a time we were just going through so much and uh, everything. I just uh, – yeah, I was enjoying, and, and and he was a good, he was a good guy. He just he, he had felt good and everything. I'm just like I'm I'm 38 at the time, going on 39. I'm just like, man, it's about time to me. I was I was thinking this this if I'd have started when I was 20, then great. But I'm getting to the age that when I get close to 40, injuries started happening that was over something silly. Just something little simple thing, and, and you find yourself trying to overprotect yourself for a fall, and that's the first sign that uh, your body is starting to re- reject what you're doing. So I said, done. I think at forty, like, like forty-one years old in nineteen ninety-one, I think I, uh, I was like, I had like one or two matches ever so often. And if you don't have matches on a regular basis, your body gets completely out of shape, and so it doesn't take the bumps like you want to. So. 
I finally said, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> they didn't call me no more anyway. So. <laughs> so well, before, before you retire, you do have, you know, a small little uh, tour um, or two in all Japan at Pro Wrestling for Giant Baba. But you also end up in the WWF for, for not that, you know, not a long stretch, but how did you kind of get in with uh, Vince McMahon and the WWF? Oh, well, that was, uh, we had been down there and, and, uh, wrestling with Crockett then, and they called down to Crockett and said, we need some guys. We need some guys to do, do, the, do the work. They, they wanted somebody to take bumps because they had brought all these guys in with steroids like crazy. I mean, you're talking about all oh, the twins that, that from England or something like that. They were the, I don't remember, I don't kept a lot of their stuff, but we were, uh, they were called some, would you get about about 16, 17 guys? And they flew us up there and gave us transportation, got us around wherever we had to go and everything, because we were coming in to take the place of all their guys that were doing the jobs. They had injured so many guys, there wasn't hardly anybody left. And the ones that were left were, were kind of broken. So, and their mat, their wrestling ring was hard as a brick. It didn't have any give to it at all. It was like a boxing ring. It didn't bounce not one inch. So when you hit it, it was like like hitting the floor with a pad on it. I was, holy cow. So we go out there, and uh, and uh, the guy looks at me because I'm the older guy. The rest of them are all, you know, 25, 26 years old, full of stuff. And, and he said, you're in charge of, of the money. I said, huh? <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm not a crook, so I'm... I'm I said, okay, so they gave me the money to pay the guys. And everybody got paid the same thing. It's like $100. You did two matches, you got like $150. And so I'm paying all the guys off. And I ended up, I'm looking at the money in my hand. There's about $400 left over. And I said, have I screwed somebody over? So I go back, and I go back to the guy who took the money. I suppose got paid, and I, said, I got $400 left over. So I go back to the guy who gave me the money. I said, well, here's, here's, uh, you gave me too much. He said, no, I didn't. I said, well, I've screwed somebody then. He said, no, you didn't. I was just checking to see how honest you are. I said, well, I said, here's the $400. He said, well, that's yours. I said, hmm. mine. He said, yep. He said, we just, we do that. We now know we can trust you. Okay, so I, I didn't think that, but every time we, we booked up there, they gave me the the money to hand out to everybody, and I was everybody's best friend. Hey, Gene, how you doing? Because yeah. <laughs> I've got the money, and uh, they always gave me a little extra for doing it, and uh, and we had great buffets in the back. It's like, man, I know how pro football players are when you go in there and you got roast beef and prime rib and all this stuff laid out in front of you and the guys all eat because they're there all day doing, you know, interviews and stuff like that. Well, the guys like me show up at 4 o'clock. We ain't wrestling until 7 o'clock that night and probably until 10 o'clock that night because they taped all night. And so, it's something to eat. Oh, dude, we're allowed to eat that too? Said, yeah, everybody's allowed to eat. So we're sitting, I'm sitting there going, man, I'm going, I had to make this meal last me all day because I need to save my money. <laughs> They gave us, you know, a room to stay in, everything. They took care of us really well. But uh, one thing we get in the ring, they were they were haul off knocking the crap out of our guys. I come back and George South got hit real hard. He said, Man, they're crazy. They're hitting us so hard, it's ridiculous. They're not pulling anything. So I looked all of them out. I said, 
We're from North Carolina. We don't put up with this crap. Now, if they hit you hard, lay it back into them. And they said, don't mind. I said, I don't care. <laughs> they fire us, they fire us, but we're not going to take beatings like this. And so, sure enough, one of the guys haul off and, you know, pounded on one of our guys real hard. And you could tell it sounded good because it was a good one. And finally, our guy fired up pie out right into the gut. Oh, took the wind right out of the star. And they said, what the heck you don't do? I said, you're going to get as good as you give. If you hit us too hard, we're going to hit you twice as hard. And uh, I hit my guy like that one time, and he said, hey, huh, man. I said, now you know what it feels like, don't you? We're not taking this. And uh, we don't have to be here. We can leave. And so uh, they all kind of straightened up after that. They, they started pulling the punches a little bit easier. And I had uh, the warlord. Not the warlord, the ultimate warrior, the ultimate yep. warrior. And uh, I was one of his first matches he had up there. And so they said, you got him. I said, holy cow, why y'all got to give me all, this, all the studs for? They always stuck me with the big guys. So I got out there and I said, come here, warrior's nuts, right? I said, uh, Mr. Warrior, yeah. I said, tell you what, get in the ring. You run back and forth a few times, and then I'll drop down. And then I'll go to hip toss you, and you hip toss me or something like that. And uh, I can't remember exactly what we did, but I do remember telling him, you hit the rope several times. And I let him hit it a few more times than he was used to hitting it. <laughs> he, he got gassed. I said, okay, I'll step in. He gave me a shot, and boom, 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 boom. He picked me up in the air. He, he clotheslined me against the ropes one time, knocked me out. Then he threw me over the top ropes with a backdrop. I landed on the ropes and flipped out. About killed myself, about broke my rib, and finally he did the finish thing, you know, picked me up, bam, and did this big splash on me, and that was it. And I'm like, holy cow, I don't get in the ring with this guy ever again. <laughs> so, called out, and then uh, had a couple other guys. I I, I had the honor of, of uh, wrestling against uh, the blue, uh, the guy. Blue Blazer. Blue Blazer. I went hard. Yep. And Owen was, and I was had my gymnastics background. I went to Owen. I said, Owen, he said, I have a hard time. These guys don't know how to make me walk the ropes like I want to and, and all this stuff he could do. He was just a talented guy and good balance. I said, listen, I was a gymnast. I can flip you there and you'll land on your feet. I know how to do that. We used to do it ourselves in gymnastics as, as we go perform in front of elementary kids in, when I was in college. And we'd flip a guy in the air. He'd land on his feet and then roll him. If he went too far, he'd do a forward roll. And I said, I know how to do that. I can get you up there and you land on your feet. Because a lot of guys were throwing up there and he'd land on his butt or land too far. I said, I can do it. He said, okay, we'll do it. So he flipped in the air a couple times and walked trust ropes and flipped in the air and did a couple twists, cartwheel thing. And it was just, it was so easy. All I had was let him do his thing and use my hand as a balance point. Because I didn't have to do anything. I just had to help him. And, uh, he, he, he says, thank you so much. I appreciate what you did out there. I said, no, I promise my job, you know. And then I heard he got killed. I said, man, that was the dirtiest thing I've ever seen in my life because he was just nice as could be. I mean, I, with me. He might have been a butthole to everybody else, but he was as nice as he could possibly be with me. And I, when I saw her, he got killed. I'm like, that's, that's stupid. I said, Somebody didn't do their job. And that, that rope broke and everything. I said, yeah, they, they didn't take the precautions, and some people always said, you know, that 
it might have been done on purpose, and, and he didn't have he didn't know what was coming. And I said, well, they they, they acted like you know. A man would have died in the baseball game. They'd have stopped the baseball game, killed it off, and, and said, we'll, we'll be back next time. But they kept the show going. I said, man, that's cold to me. And, but because he'd just been hurt a little bit, I understand. But he died. He died. And his brother, well, I tell you what, I don't make his brother mad. <laughs> that guy's one tough son of a dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brett, yep. Brett Hart. Oh, Brett was had a lot of respect for Brett. He, uh, he, he, I know he didn't like what happened to his brother. He was he was ready to take some. I mean, he knocked out the, not knocked out, but he, he smacked old uh, McMahon upside the head for, uh, you know, making him lose his belt at that time when he had mm-hmm. a hold. That's it. He gave up. He said, I didn't give up. So went back and back, and uh, the scene of McMahon coming back kind of groggy, it happened. I was at the door. <laughs> He got smacked good. Said, what happened back there? He got jacked. McMahon, he, I said, McMahon, like, stood there. So what are you going to do about pow? <laughs> he lay on the ground. Got up, and they kind of helped him down the hallway. And what are you going to do? He was going to get his piece right there. And he got it. You were there in the, in, in the building that, that, that night? I, I, I think I remember seeing it happen. I didn't see it actually get hit. But I think... We were up there at the time. That's when all the stuff was going on. We were there when the 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 was the Bart Batter Bat the, the the two guys are from England. What was their names? The Bart oh, Baron, the Batten twins. The Batten twins. I only saw them a few times, but they were they were having such terrible uh, things going on, like ribs on each other. Somebody cut somebody's pants sh- shorter than another. You know, brand new pants, right? They're all buying expensive clothes. They're cutting little sleeves off here, and finally it got personal. And uh, one of them, one of them brought out a dumbbell, and hold off and cracked the guy upside the head with the dumbbell. I said, "Boy, it's gonna kill somebody." They had a, it was like, oh, somebody knocked his teeth out. No, caught him, bam, knocked his teeth out. It's all. Oh. And we're so. Oh, was was that when the Rougeos and the in the uh, British Bulldogs? Yeah, 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 I think so. British Bulldogs, British Bulldogs. Yeah. That's what it was. British Bulldogs, because the British Bulldogs, they, 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 they love having fun as long as it's on somebody else. But, man, it was like all the guys said, watch out, they'll, they'll, they'll cut your clothes up, they'll, they'll slash your pants or something. They think it's funny. I don't think it's funny. <laughs> so I stayed away from it as best I can. They were, I mean, they were good wrestlers and everything like that. But in the back, back, uh, back room, it was like a, like a little war going on back there. Some of those old guys didn't take that crap. <laughs> and he's just a muscle-headed, uh, steroid kid. So we're, you know, some of those guys, that's their living. They made a living that way. That's their job. And these guys were making so much money, they didn't care. So it was a terrible time. So you leave the WWF and go back to the NWA, really, to WCW, and you end up having a world title match against the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Do you remember going back to WCW at this point and wrestling your good old buddy, the Nature Boy? Well, I, I don't remember a lot of that. I, I, a lot of times, you do it so many times, you don't remember. I, I think I wrestled on TV one time, and uh, and I don't know if I wrestled for the world title. I don't know if that, they might have done that just for fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I, but I don't remember that part. And... Uh, I remember um, 
Lex Luger and all those guys, and, and Lex slammed me in the TV taping one time in the middle of the concrete floor, and uh, they were upset because I was supposed to go out there and say, you know, who's the greatest wrestler ever was? And I said, boy, I tell you, I, I, who do you think is going to win Lex Luger versus somebody? I forgot who it was who was wrestling. And I said, man, I, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. And Lex Luger was on the Green Bay Packers at one time. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, uh, I came out on live on WTBS, you know, live on Saturday mornings. <laughs> who do you think is going to win this match? And, and Lex Luger standing there looking at me like, of course he's going to say Lex Luger. I said, well, I'm, I'm a big Green Bay Packer fan. I don't ever pull against Green Bay. I'm a fellow Green Bay Packer. But this is one time i got to say the other guy's going to probably win this match. And all of a sudden he picks me up and he slams me. <laughs> hmm. and, and he was supposed to do something else. But uh, Ole Anderson got hot as a firecracker. Because he come back, that's not what he's supposed to do. <laughs> You okay? And all the guys thought I got hurt because it made a big whop sound. But I landed perfectly. It didn't hurt at all. It just sounded like it did. I would go out there carry me back in the back like I'm all broken up and everything. I get back in the dressing room. I'm still been on. I said, "Yeah, Nick, you okay? You okay?" I said, "Yeah, I'm okay." <laughs> I said, "I fooled y'all. I did a good job. If I can fool the boys, you did a good job." That's how we always looked at it. But uh, yeah, you know. It got it got hairy after that. I was just like, uh, I don't do met- drugs or anything like that, but the concussions I'd gotten started making me forget. And one night I had a match there against the, all the, the brothers, one of the brother of uh, uh, the Road Warriors is a tag team, the, the something of the Blondes or something like that. And uh, they, they did a tag team match on TV and they dropped an elbow on me and it caved my head right into the edge of the uh, ground knocked me out. Dynamic was, dudes. Yeah, dynamic dudes. I was out on my feet, and I didn't know it. And they elbowed me, and they picked me up, and the other guy come tagged up and all stuff. And then as the tape goes by, I watched the tape one time a long time ago. I'm standing in the corner walking back and forth. I have no clue. I'm just going through the motions. I get back to the dressing room. I don't remember going to the dressing room. I'm sitting in my chair at the dressing room. I'm looking straight to the floor. And like the old TV tube used to start out, and, and, and when you turn it off, it'd go down to a little dot. Well, I'm sitting there, and I'll see, I see a dot, and the dot starts to open up like it's a, a kaleidoscope, and now I'm starting to see everything around me. Sound comes on. I hear people talking, and people say, hey, look, are you okay? You did a good job. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. And so I just sat there for a while, so I finally got in my car, I had an old 1980 Mercedes 300SD. I like that big old car. It got decent gas mileage for old diesel. And I'm riding down the highway. I feel like I get some gas. So, and my gas tank wasn't working right. So I figured I always fill up. That way I have plenty of gas to get home. It holds like 20 something gallons. And uh, so I fill it up. I call my mom and dad, tell them that I just finished wrestling. I'm on my way home because I was staying with them because dad had some health problems and I was to stay with them to make sure everything's okay. And uh, I'm heading home. And so a little while later, I stopped and got gas again, you know. Didn't take but a couple of dollars. I'm his tank. So I called my mom again. He said, why are you calling us again? Oh, you just called a little bit ago. Okay. And what took four hours to get home normally, 
took me over eight hours. Then I was stopping and calling and filling up the gas. Start <laughs> because I got not cooking. And so I, I had a concussion, didn't know it, drove all the way home from Atlanta, Georgia, to Salisbury, North Carolina. It took me almost eight hours. I got home at daylight. <laughs> so I'm like, I laid down in bed for a couple of days. And if I knew I had a real concussion, all the stuff we know about concussions, you know, I told the doctor and stayed awake. I guess driving all the way home kept me awake from going to sleep, which is the worst thing you do when you get a concussion, go to sleep kept me awake going all the way down the road. I just didn't remember anything I was doing. <laughs> so since then, I've had more, if I hit real hard, it shakes my head up a little bit too much, and I kind of like get a little dizzy. So I've had too many concussions to speak of. And that's why my wife sometimes says, you've lost your mind. I said, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's basically what I've got. Anything else? You know more about me than I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, as, as you know, we head towards the finish, we head towards the wind down. You've wrestled so many great wrestlers, you know, Arn, Tully, the Midnight Express, Sting, Ronnie Garvin. I mean, there's so many different guys. Uh, I had a, a buddy of mine who, who used to go to house shows down in uh, Virginia in the late 80s. said you, an Italian stallion, used to tear it up. Yeah. So do you have some favorite matches that you've had throughout your career? Oh, the rock and roll was always good, but um... – Wrestling some of the regular guys who was like me, just regular guys, that was some of the best matches we had because we got I mean, And sometimes you just got it going. Because you know? I never was good at, you know, calling a match. I, I, I could help a guy. My whole goal in my, my job when I got in the ring was, how can I make this guy, the star, look better than he is? And if I could make him look better than any match he's ever had, said, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, yeah. Because I knew that his career depended on me doing a good job. And one match I had against uh, um, Nikita Koloff, Nikita Koloff, good friend of mine, uh, we were in Columbia, South Carolina. And certain ones you remember. And he was just starting. He had just come into it. He wouldn't speak English in front of anybody. He wouldn't speak English in front of anybody. He spelled it, oh, no, no, no. He always threw up this Russian gibberish, which... Half the stuff, I don't even know if it was Russian, but he memorized some certain terms. And we didn't know what he was saying, so it didn't matter. He would never speak to any of us in English. He was living the gimmick. He believed in doing that. And there's Ivan, of course. So we're down in Columbia, South Carolina. I got one of the first house matches he's had to do. He's done all this TV stuff where he just, uh, stuff like that. And everybody's like, this guy's a monster. <laughs> so... Hadn't had his first match yet, so I'm one of his first matches. I mean, and they trusted me with him because I knew I knew how to make a guy look good. And that was what I've always done. So he gets in the ring, and they said, "Whatever you do, he not, does not leave his feet. If you drop kicking, he don't leave his feet. If you go to pick him up to slam him, you drop down, have him land on you. He does not leave his feet. Yes, sir, got it." So I'm in my mind trying to think, how can I make this guy look good without making him fall? Because you do habits. You shoot a guy with a rope, you give him a backdrop, right? Can't give him a backdrop. He, he, there's no way that man leaves his feet. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I'm having to reevaluate everything in my brain. So I'm in the match. We're going out pretty good. He's, everything he does, he pushes me. I fly through the ring like hit the ground. I lock up with him. He gives me a push. I, I collapse and fall down. His super strength is so amazing. So I 
Finally, I, I start getting a little something. I give him a shot to the gut. He, he sells it a little bit. Another shot to the gut. So I, I get him. I'm firing up on him. Everybody's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get him to the corner. I go and give him a bill out of the corner, right, where he's going to hip toss him, and he don't go, right? Well, the son of a gun goes. And he flips in the air and lands on his back. And I'm like, oh, crap. I just started doing this. I've done lost my job. <laughs> and I look over there, and I was looking at me, and I was looking in the eye and says, oh, you screwed up now. <laughs> I look over there, I see Sandy Scott, and Sandy says, you done it, you blew it. <laughs> so, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm panicking. He comes up, drive, drive across, gives me a clothesline, boom, I'm out cold, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, one, two, three. So I crawl out of the ring. I go back to the dressing room. I'm thinking, I've lost my job. My whole dream of being a wrestler, you know, I'm finally getting a little bit of a, a reputation of being a good worker and stuff like that. And I've just lost my job. <laughs> so I said, I went to Sandy. He said, Sandy, I can't get fired because there's no way I can throw him across the ring. He screwed up. I said, but Sandy, I, there's no way. I can't throw a 280-pound man across with one arm. It just doesn't happen. He screwed up. He's the star. Stars don't screw up. <sighs> they were laughing like crazy. Ah, we get, we're just messing with you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He's a rookie. I said, oh, man, Ivan was laughing at me. Ah, we got you on that one. I said, yeah. <laughs> that was one of, one of the more memorable matches on there, too. Uh, I looked at Nikita. Nikita wouldn't say a word. Like uh, she just mumbled some Russian stuff and walked off. And um, and, and, and being in the ring with Ric Flair and, and having Harley Race versus I think it was Harley Race versus Ric Flair in a match one time. I might have been Dusty Rhodes in St. Louis. I had to do a match there. I remember wrestling Zeus in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know who Zeus is? Oh yeah, yes. Yep, no yeah. old guard. Yeah, oh yeah. He had, he had never wrestled much in his life. They got him in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We land there late afternoon. We go there. So you got the big guy named Zeus. I said, Zeus, is that the black guy with one eye? It's a different color. He said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did he start wrestling? Well, he just started. <laughs> I said, Why are y'all giving me these guys that don't know anything? Because you can walk them through it. I said, all right. So I got there and I get with Zeus. And he's a nice guy. And there's Zeus. I give him that look, that look he gives you. Like, oh gosh, you can kill him with one snap of his arm. And, and so I tried to pick him up. I couldn't pick him up. He picked me up and throw me and all this stuff. Just made him do things. Anything I do, you copy. I go to hip toss him. I can't do it. He can't toss me. So he is able to do all that stuff. And I did a little comeback and boom, he, he does it, whatever his finish was. I forgot what it was now. And, it was done. And I'm like, okay, there you go. It's Zeus. I had Zeus. Yay. Had Rock, Rock and Roll Smith. Yay. Had Rick Flair. Yay. I've gone through I had Lex Luger. I had all, all, you know, all the different. I just wanted to have one match with certain people. And I was able to wrestle against a Junkyard Dog in Bermuda. Uh, we had a Bermuda match over there. And they said, if you can get him to go 10 minutes, 10 minutes. I said, 10 minutes? He don't go more than 10 minutes. My gosh, how are you supposed to get 10 minutes? It's a show. It's actually a house show. And people, you know, tourists are there to see it and everything. And it's a bought and paid for show. So we're getting paid regardless. 
And so I get there, and I'm out there, and I'm, I think I'm doing Thunderfoot. And it's going against the junkyard dog. And next thing you know, we're 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Junkyard's dog still wrestling. He did, you know. And I think I got close to 40 minutes, and then he did the junkyard finish, and it was over. And my, everybody said, how in the devil did you get him to do 40 minutes? I said, I don't know. Uh, the time flew by so fast, I think he just forgot about He liked being in Bermuda so much, he forgot about the time. He, he gave extra effort that night. And uh, so Junkyard Dog was one I had a match with. And uh, wrestling down in Australia, had a good time doing that. With uh, We were running foot down there. And uh, um, then I went wrestling in Japan as Gene Ligon and wrestled against Baba. And, you know, Baba was a very very slight man at the time. He'd gotten old, and his arms were all skinny as a rail. And, and I knew I had to make the boss look good. So I said, give me your big boot. He said, oh, yeah. I shot me off. And next time I come on, he put that boot, and I took the biggest bump I could possibly take. And I said, I'm over with Bubba. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and they paid, they paid me like $10,000. Holy cow. I, I, how am I supposed to take you? You're supposed to, you know, anytime you leave a country with a certain amount of money, you gotta, you got to claim it. They said, do not claim it. I said, but I'll get arrested if they catch me with this amount of money. Trust us. You got it. So I had over $10,000 cash that, that paid everything, boom, 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 food. That was my profit from the show, from the thing. Wow. And going through the uh, this one month. And, of course, some of the other guys, like, Stan Hansen, 30 grand. <laughs> he was getting paid good money. <laughs> and that's like, like 80, 86, 87. And so I'm walking out, I'm standing there, and there's the guy that checks you and everything like that. You have anything to declare? I said, no. He looked at me, gave me a little wink, and said, go on by. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> so, <laughs> they're all owned by them anyway. It's like, you know, it's like a mob over there. They, the, so it was a uh, okay. And then Stan Hansen one time was uh, we were at a town and uh, they always wanted to go out to the bar and I don't drink and so I go out to the bar with him, him and Joel and a couple of the guys and we're all sitting there we go to this bar and they always have these girls sitting with you. I'm like, I don't know, I thought, they're not prostitutes. Well, what are they? They're escorts. They sit with you and you have to sit with them. They're, they they sit and they they don't eat or nothing. But you basically have a date for the night. But it's not really a date. It's just somebody sitting next to you to take a picture with you and stuff like that. And that's how those girls earn their money. And there might have been other things that I didn't know about, but that's, they were just nice as they could be. And they said, oh, very good. And they make you feel like you're somebody. And, but that's what they did with all the businessmen would come in. And the businessmen would sit down with them. And we were wrestlers, so they gave us a girl to sit with us. And so, okay, I'm sitting there. And so they had karaoke going on. So the Stan Hansen, of course, says, like it, don't sing. I said, what a sing? <laughs> and so Joel said, come on, Ligon, we'll do it together. Because don't want to make Stan mad. Stan's the one who got his book there. <laughs> so, okay, so they go up there and we start singing. They had um, uh, Elvis Presley song on there. And uh, I, I, I like to sing. I can imitate Elvis fairly good, but. Not, not as good as Ellis, but it was kind of like a halfway good one. And uh, so we started singing together, and Joel and I are singing together. And Joel, he's got a country sound. <laughs> so 
I was singing, I was saying, Joe walks off the stage, and I'm sitting there finishing the song, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley. And I said, oh, my gosh, I walk off the stand with them. He said, what are you doing? I said, he said, and after that, see, Stan didn't like me too much because he was, like, being a hard case. And after that, I'm his best buddy. He said, man, you did a good job. I like that. And so he started talking. I told him about food line stock and He's a stock. He's always buying stock and everything. He had to paper We ride all through that. He's always talking about stock. Well, who is this food line? I said, food line is the fastest growing food uh, store in the southeast. You better get in that. So he bought a lot of stock and uh, off of my advice. And, uh, and he sold it since then because it, it went up split a couple more times. Went back down. But Stan Hansen was the uh, uh, – we had a match that night. Uh, I'm sitting there watching because you're scared to death of Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen was bigger than life. And uh, got to, oh, the guy, the blonde-headed guy from down in uh, down in Florida. Um, uh, he, he acted like Ric Flair. What's his name? You know him. Uh, Buddy Landell. Oh, no. Uh, it's the guy still around. He's uh, built real good. I'm blank right now. But he had blonde hair and everything like that. And, uh, he was over there wrestling with us. And he had a match with one of these Japanese guys, and the Japanese guy picked him up and dropped him, and he fell on his ribs and broke his ribs. And Austin Idol, Austin Idol. And, oh. Uh, and so he broke his ribs. So I'm watching, and I'm a former coach, and I know his face turns total white. And he had a, he had a good tan, but his face went total white. And he's laying there, and he looks over at me, and we're like 40 feet away. Because the ring's out there, I'm watching, you know, like a little doorway step looking up there. I noticed, oh, crap, he's hurt. So I said, Stan. And Stan said, what? I said, I got a problem. They told him I got a problem. I said, Austin's hurt. What? So I saw my gun. So he gets his big old rope, runs out there, starts swinging that rope around. He starts beating on Japanese people left and right. And he's hitting them with that big old rope. And they're all running like scalding dogs. And finally, uh, we were able to get Austin out of the ring while all this was going on. So they, they made it a disqualification that Stan Hansen ran into the ring. But he was trying to cover for, for Stan, uh, for Austin. Austin got back. He flew back home the next day. He had broken ribs. He's almost, it, it could have been bad. But I said, man, alive. That was like, the funny thing. First night, first night there in Japan, I'm seeing all these people. I'm like, I try to be polite to people. I like cultures and stuff like that. And these little kids would come up to us, ah, autograph, autograph. I start, don't you sign autographs? I said, what? We don't sign autographs. And Stan, they're kids. They won't sign the autographs. We're the heels here. I said, okay. I'm, I'm, I get away from me, kid. I'm trying to be mean, but they're such nice kids, right? So he always often gives a big old loogie and spits on them. They run back to their friends saying, look, 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 look. They got spit all over them where he spit on them. I said, why would you do that? They love it. They get to go back and brag to their friends. Stan Hansen spit on me. And that, in their culture, was considered an honor. I said, oh, my gosh, my brain's got to go twisted sideways. (laughs) I said, well... And we had a good time over there in Japan. That was that was a lot. I wrestled once one guy that was a uh, a medalist in the Japanese Golden Circle up there. They had like we had the Pan Am games down here in Mexico and uh, Canada and 
United States. They have a, a, a circle up there where they have all the China, Korea, South and North Korea, and Japan have these matches. And they have regular, you know, uh, Olympic-style wrestling. And this guy was the champion. And he's a big Japanese guy. He's like, you know, he looked like a Samoan almost. You know, I said, wow. So Stan told me, he said, listen, they're going to test you. I said, what? Well, that's their big star. Why are y'all giving me the big star part? Everybody's got to have him. I'll tell you what you're going to do. He's going to hit you on the chest. You know, that's what he does. He don't know a whole lot. He's learned. And what you're going to do is take it. Yeah, yeah, that's what you do. He said, then you lock up again, you back off, you take him to the ropes, and you lay it into him as hard as you can. Because if you don't, it's going to be a long month because they'll all get the word saying that I, that I ain't got no juice. I said, all right, Stan. <laughs> I take your word for it because you know this business better than I do. I get in the ring with this big old guy, and he uh, we lock up and, you know, takes me to the ropes, does the old bow thing to me. I do the same thing to him, bow. Then he locks up again, drives me against the ropes again, and this time he doesn't bow. He pushes me back, and he lays a big old forearm on my chest and, like, oh, put me to my knees. I'm like, oh, and uh, I look at it, and he, he goes halfway out to us, and there's a, oh, you know, does the Japanese stuff he says. I don't know what he's saying. So I got you that time, there, big boy. <laughs> I don't know what he said. I said, all right. So I did the same thing to him. I walk him back to the ropes, bend him over, and I start to back off, and just as I do, I come back hard as I can. I hit him on the chest, and he... He, he gives big old eyeballs, and he looks at me like, and from that point on, we locked up. It was like walking with your best friend. Headlock was nice and light. He twisted my arm nice and easy. Everything was just as sweet as it could be. And Stan was right. <laughs> you got to show him where you stand. Well, they, they, they whooped on you all the time. But the, I got his respect, and they're all about respect over there. So I didn't want to mess with him. He could have tore me up pieces. He, he was a stud. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think I wrestled a tag team match with uh, the red-headed guy from the WWE, this older fellow. Um, you know, he was a gentleman, somebody. Uh, he was like, he always had his hair combed just perfectly, you know, everything. And, um, started Nick Bockwinkle, you mean, from the AWA? Bockwinkle, yeah. Yep. He, I never saw much of him. I just, I'd heard of him, but he was he was amazing. He was older than I was. I was, you know, I was 37, 38 years old, 36 years old. And he was like 40, close to 50. But he was in and out of that ring, boom, boom, tag team. That's how we got to do it. I'm sitting there, holy cow, this guy's in shape. And he could, he could go. And he, he didn't take nothing. Some of the guys get a little smart with him. He'd haul up and knock the crap out of him, bite the jaw. And you got to show them they don't, they don't like us. They don't like gyrate. So I said, oh, so they don't want to get a World War Three started. <laughs> so that's, that's the last thing I can remember. But Wonderland in Australia was good. I had a good time down there. They they, they paid us well and uh, fed us well and, and enjoyed seeing Australia. Very pretty. Hawaii. Sure. Here's the coolest thing is that I'd been in Hawaii when I was a cheerleader in college. I was a cheerleader for one year. They needed me to be a cheerleader with this one girl who was Channel 18's daughter, 
uh, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, Susie Bayhackle. Well, Susie didn't go to Hawaii. We had a basketball tournament over there, and our basketball team was in, and six cheerleaders got to go. And because my friend was the captain, he said, you're going with me. Had four girls and me and him. He got to go with his girlfriend. I got to go with I didn't have a girlfriend. So I said, okay. So we're over there for a whole week. I said, man, if I ever get a chance to come back to Hawaii, I'm going to do it. So when I got a chance to go wrestling Japan, I go to Japan. I come back. They said, you want to go through Seattle on your way back to Charlotte? I said, is there any other way? He said, you go, you go through Hawaii. I said, well, yeah, I just want to see it, you know. He said, well, you can do a layover there if you want to. I said, layover? Tell me how layover works. So you can lay over for a week, two weeks, a month if you want to. They allowed you to lay over for a long length of time back then. I said, well, I'll lay over two weeks. So Joel Deaton was with me. And so Joel said, two weeks? And where are we going to stay? And well, hotels might be expensive. They said, no, we got a guy. When you got a guy? Yeah, the guy there that's a manager of one of the hotels. We get it for 20 bucks. I said, 20 bucks? Yeah, hotels were 200 bucks at the time. And uh, their place was like 100 something. They said, you get 20 bucks. We get there, we call the guy. He said, I don't know about no discount. I don't know what you're talking about. Come on in, I'll talk to you. So we get there, you know. <laughs> he was just covering for himself. We get there, and it's next door to like the Hyatt or the Hilton. $200 a night. Side by side. I mean, it's like next door. And this is more like a Motel 6 type place. And uh, it's called a Waikiki Circle Hotel. And that's where all the guys would stay. That was just a tradition. We got there, the guy said it'd be $20 a night. That's $10 a piece. I'm like, you're kidding me. So we stayed for two weeks, 140 bucks out of my pocket, 140 bucks out of Joel's pocket. I said, wow. I had twin beds in a room that was like, you know, bare bottoms. And we go walk. Right across the street is the ocean. And, man, I said, this is so cool, Hawaii. So I got back home. I said, man, Hawaii. I want to go back to Hawaii. I want to go back to Japan. But I, I, I was stupid. I, I wanted to make a career in NWA. So I had a chance to go back to Japan. But I said, no, no, I want to stay here. And I'm loyal to the company. And I should have gotten on this. Do it all over again. I'd be going to Japan all the time. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden I had a chance to go to Australia which was later on in life, and I'm like, okay, I think that was 92, and went down to Australia, Thunder Flutes, and on the way back, I said, can we do a layover in Hawaii? Sure you can. So, how long can I stay? Stay a couple weeks. All right. So I called the place, and they'd gone up a little bit. It was $25 a night now. So I got a room with another guy, twelve fifty a piece. We stayed for two weeks. I had torn my hamstring in, in Australia, ruptured it. So I was like my pec was, my leg was that way now. And it still is. I've got a torn bicep in the back of my leg. And so I couldn't do much, but I was walking around a little bit. We got there and we saw these uh, things that, you know, catamarans and everything. And a couple of the guys that was running the catamarans, dads were wrestlers. Hey, nigga, come here. They knew me. And I, I said, yeah, we met you years ago when we were just little boys. Yeah, I watched you on TV. Come ride with us. That's why. I, I, you know, how much is it? He said, nothing. You're a wrestler. Come on. So we got on this boat. And we go all the way out the, out the water, and then everybody turns around. We roll ourselves back in, and we just had a great time doing that. So then I uh, got home, and I said, man, I guess this is the last of my. Been three times to Hawaii, 
It didn't cost me anything except a little bit of change. And I got got married at 50, and my, my wife had never been anywhere at all. And I said, well, we have to go take a trip one day. So we had a, a deal that we could stay at a place for nothing in, uh, in Hawaii. It was a deal. But you got to get there. And I said, man. So in December, I said, let me see if I can get some freaking flyer miles, and we can get there. We've got this free place to stay. It's got to be done the first week of December through the, through the 10th. I'm like, and we got to get in it. So I called a friend of mine who flies a lot. I said, I don't want to buy some of your freaking flyer miles. He said, I don't have any. He don't have it. He fly all the time. He said, I use them on the first class. I said, oh, crap. So I'm like, I'm going to lose out on my free gift. So he said, well, Paul's got some. And Paul's the president of the company. He had like 3 million miles. <laughs> he doesn't even use. And so they're limited because you only go certain times of the year. And my buddy called me back and said, you're one lucky son of a gun. The only date that these mileage can be used in December is the very dates you got for staying in Hawaii. Nice. I said, man, God's involved on that. Because <laughs> I got my mom and my little granddaughter, my wife, we adopted her as our child, and uh, we're sitting there, all four people flying to Hawaii for nothing and back. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> In the condo, and and my my wife was upset because got there's a long flight. She gets tired of releasing. So I said it's gonna be worth it. Believe me, it's gonna be worth it. She won. Myrtle Beach is a lot closer. I said this is not Myrtle Beach. <laughs> so the lights. The, the next morning, the sun comes up. She's out on the balcony having a cup of coffee, and I leaned out, looked out towards us. So what do you think? She says it's heaven. I've never seen blue water before. Yep, there's a difference in Myrtle Beach and Hawaii. We went down down to the ocean. She said, "Oh my gosh!" She started looking at the newspaper see if she found a job. <laughs> I said, they'll, "They'll pay enough. They pay like you know twelve dollars an hour, but it costs you seventeen dollars an hour to live." <laughs> so we we went uh, went there, had a great time, and got to experience that because I wanted them to experience. My mom had never been anywhere like that. I said, you need to experience Hawaii. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I think we're going to try to hit Bermuda next year. Bermuda is almost like Hawaii. I mean, mm. it's, it's right off the coast of North Carolina, about 600 miles of a lot shorter flight, and it's just as costly. <laughs> it's pretty. Well, that's, that's basically Awesome stuff. Great, uh, great trips there. This was a great trip down memory lane as well. Got to talk about the legendary Thunderfoots, underrated team, and obviously, uh, Gene, you yourself, underrated wrestler, wrestled them all, all the legends. You said Flair, even Ultimate Warrior in the WWF, and obviously in WCW Sting and Lex Luger and a lot of other huge names as well. So, Gene, do you do any other sort of, like, signings, personal appearances? Do you do anything? Are you out there? Like, do you have any plugs to uh, – to plug, well, do, you, do you do social media at all? I have. I do a little bit on Facebook. Uh, I, I uh, still start doing some. I'm on a weight loss program right now. I'm starting, and my products will be arriving in the next few days. But uh, I, I have a, a business online, and uh, you go to jeanandtanya.com. Tanya's T-O-N-Y-A, 
Jean, G-E-N-E, and Tanya.com. It'll take you to my nutritional site. I'm, I'm all about health and nutrition. That's what my major was. And uh, they have a lot of things on there, uh, 30 different companies that uh, you can you can get wholesale prices at. Um, right now, this month, you can become a wholesale buyer with the company by just going online to geneandtanya.com and join for free, and you get the wholesale price. And uh, you can get it for a year, you get wholesale pricing for a year. You can buy... You can buy things like protein powders. You can buy things like makeup. You can buy things like jewelry. You can buy things like photography services. It's like, you know, like, um, I, I guess, uh, Shutterfly. We have a company called Heritage USA, and they do basically the same thing for a low less price. We have hotels you can go to, uh, like Travelocity. You can go there and you know, find a cheap hotel. Our hotel prices are the same, but we give you points towards more purchases towards products and stuff. So it's like a like a mini Amazon with lots of services. And uh, products are fantastic. All organic. The guy who founded the company, if you ever watch Merlin Parkin, Perkins on the Wild Kingdom in Africa, the guy that was his head uh, veterinarian is also a medical doctor who is also a nutritionist. This guy's a genius. He's 80 years old now, and he acts like he's 40. I mean, Put together like he used to be a little wrestler himself. He was a 120 pound wrestler in college, and uh, he uh, he uh, talked about nutrition and certain nutritions we need every day to live. And, uh, and the name is company called Longevity. Instead of longevity, like you'll have a long life, you don't have a long life and be unhealthy. You'll have a healthy life and live young. So be old and live young. That's basically how his philosophy is. But go to geneandtanya.com, and uh, you'll be able to find some things. But the, the free membership ends this month, so you have to jump on it as quick as possible. And uh, it helps. Uh, uh, part of the money goes towards helping. Uh, they, they have a charitable organization built into the company, so they got coffee, and their coffee is fantastic out of Nicaragua. And what they do is they use the profits from that to help feed the people in Nicaragua and other social things like uh, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation, things like that. They have a, a big charitable organization they built into it. So everything you buy helps uh, towards helping somebody else too. So that's uh, got my heart on that. So anyway. But on Facebook, I'm on Gene Ligon. I've uh, got Gene Ligon on there. And then I've got me and my regular personality. And then I've got Gene Ligon the wrestler. And i got Thunderfoot 2 on there. And I started making all these things back when Facebook first came out. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> so hmm. I got Airfoot, I got Gene Ligon, I got Gene Ligon. I said, well, Gene Ligon twice. One's Gene Ligon and a, a pair of tights, and one's Gene Ligon with his wife. So I don't know one's personality. I guess one's a, a, a Facebook site, and the other one's more of a, a, a prof- professional uh, site, but a public site, or what do you call it. But I, I, I do a little Twitter, but I, I comment on different things going on. But uh, Try to keep it civil. Don't get too upset, people. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't want to wrestle me or something like that. <laughs> I can't wrestle no more. I got a wrestling team starting this year if we ever get sports back on. And uh, the Red Wolves of uh, Apprentice Academy of Monroe, North Carolina. And uh, we'll be having our first year of wrestling if we're allowed to have wrestling. And uh, there are a bunch of 
be about six or seven kids on the team. We don't. The school's only a hundred and something students. It's a, like a private, but it's not private. It's a public charter school, and we work with kids that's going to be uh, going into some type of skills, uh, woodworking, welding, things like that. That career oriented, like uh, Mike Mike Rowe does. Uh, he's a dirty jobs guy. And these kids are going to be doing something like a lot of dirt, you know plumbing, dirty jobs, hair hairstyling, stuff like that. So. It's going to be interesting. It's been my first year doing this. I've been five years working with alternative students, kids that have rough backgrounds, stuff like that. And this opportunity came open. I said, okay, we'll try something different for the next five years. Then I'll probably quit and retire. I'll be 75 by then. So um, I'm getting old. <laughs> well, this is a great trip down memory lane. Like I said, one of the Thunderfoots, great kind of underrated tag team. Through the, through the years, for sure. So, Gene, thank you so much uh, for all the time. I really appreciate it, and it was great to have you on. Well, John, uh, keep in touch. I'll be, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, it's uh, my email is tfoot83. I started wrestling with Crockett in 1983, and my first uh, real big spot was being Thunderfoot. And so I put the tfoot. I didn't want to have Thunderfoot. I said, it's too much typing. So I'll put tfoot83 at gmail.com. And you can send a little email to me. You want to hear more about my products and stuff like that. I'd be glad to share it with you. And then if you've got pictures you want me to sign, uh, send me a self-addressed stock envelope. If you'll um, do a little research, you can find my address online. It's no big deal. So, And I'll send it right back to you. Enjoy that. All right. Awesome stuff. Gene, again, thank you uh, so much for all the time tonight. Really appreciate it. John, keep in touch, buddy. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.